Hey, hey, good morning, you guys. I hope you're doing well on this uh, Sunday morning. Uh, we are um, doing uh, amazing things. We took our kids uh, last Sunday to the beach, had a great time with a group of kids at uh, Atlantic Beach in North Carolina. A lot of fun, great group of kids. Um, and uh, But we're back, and we're talking about I love my church, and I hope, I hope that what we're going to learn here in this series is is why we should love our church and why we should be like fully engaged in the life of our church. So important. And uh, the church, obviously, when we talk about church, we're talking about the church worldwide, God's church. There's only one church. And all those who love Jesus, who have surrendered to Christ, are a part of his church, one church. And so when we... When we, we, when we talk about loving our church specifically, we're talking about a piece of that, like the group of people that we worship with, that we serve together with, that we do life with, and we share our lives and the common good of the, the body of Christ where we live, our local, our local yokel church group. That's uh, who we love as well. That's a part of a bigger body of people, God's people on the earth, everywhere. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And so the foundational truths about the church, the ecclesia, they called out ones, the assembly is this, authority, belonging, and construction. All authority is Jesus's, not just in the church, but in the whole universe in the world. We know that. All belonging to the church is, is him, is his doing. And all construction is the work of his hand. He's the one that is building his church. We're just going to uh, review and get to where we left off last week with you. And so today, you know, we love the church because it is the body of Christ. We love the church because it is the way. Last couple weeks. Last week we started this, uh, this part one. And today we're going to do part two of we love the church because... Because only in the church do we have a direct line of communication with God, and we call it prayer. Prayer is the gift that God has given the church. And this is a real tight connection and, and uh, that I want to share with you. And uh, when you think about, there's lots of myths in the world, right? Myths of things that people say are and that aren't. Even in uh, sports, there are sports myths. And um, like, for instance, in baseball, uh, somebody might say the hands, you know, if you hit hands on the hands with a pitch, somebody might say, oh, the hands are part of the bat. That's not true. That's a myth. Uh, the hands are not part of the bat. The hands are a part of your arms. And so if you get hit on the hands, you got hit. Uh, somebody might say, like, when you pass first base, you have to turn to the right, to the outside, and foul territory. Well, that's not true either. You can turn either way. Uh, somebody might say, if somebody bunts the ball and it lands on the plate, or somebody swings and the ball hits the plate and takes a big hop uh, forward toward the pitcher, they might call that dead and say, oh, the ball hit the plate. It's foul. That's a myth. That's not true. The plate is fair. And so, so there's a lot of myths in sports. There's a lot of myths in a lot of things. And there's a lot of myths in the church as well. And, and what we're tackling in these, this sermon on prayer is uh, some pretty big myths that people have about prayer. Uh, even in the church, there are myths. Like, for instance, every Christmas, 
you will see a manger scene. Now I'm gonna blow a few people away here with this. And in that manger scene where baby Jesus was born, you will see the Mary and Joseph, you will see some animals, you'll see an angel, you'll see a star maybe, you'll see the shepherd and you'll see the Magi. Well, there's a problem. The Magi never went to the manger, okay? That is a myth. So what I do in our church, when somebody wants to set up the nativity scene, <laughs> here's what I do. I put the Magi like in a window over there in the room. No lie, I, I, this, is, I, I, this is about being biblically accurate. The Magi were not at the manger. They were maybe on their way, probably not even yet. The, the Jesus was probably close to two years old when the Magi came and they, they met with Jesus. They visited him while he was at a house, probably back in Galilee where, they're from, where they were from, not at the manger. So lots of myths in the world and in our church there is some too, especially in this topic of prayer, like, like anybody can just talk to God. Well, you know, that sounds good and it sounds nice and it's and god's big enough to hear everyone there's that that's not the issue the issue is who can come into the presence of god who has the ability to pray and who does not because god without god in your life there is no connection so that's what we're talking about in part in this sermon and and i and i and, and I hope to dispel uh, a few myths about prayer that might shake your world a little bit. But bottom line is this, if you're a part of the church, if Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit is living in you, then you have a direct line of communication to God and we call it prayer. A lot of people are doing this, okay? There's a lot of people, like that kid, talking on the phone to nobody. And I know that sounds cruel and harsh and, and uh, lots of things, but the fact of the matter is this. There's no power source to this phone. Just like there is no power source to a person who has never invited the Holy Spirit, been immersed into Christ, and have been freed and cleansed of their sin. There's no power source there. It's like having a walkie-talkie, one. You're not talking to nobody. The only way walkie-talkies work is if you got two and they're connected on the same channel. So God, Holy Spirit, communicate. No Holy Spirit. You can't communicate with God without the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people are doing that. Paul said in Ephesians, we pray in the Spirit on all occasions in all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, always keep praying for all of the Lord's people, but we pray in the Spirit. Huge, huge, huge. And then in Romans, we said this, in the same way, we're going to get to verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit of God, that Holy Spirit, that second walkie-talkie, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray but the Spirit of God in us, that Spirit, He intercedes for us with groans that, that, that cannot be uh, understood. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit that's in us, 
because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who is going to be praying to the Father. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you're a part of that process. You are along for the ride. Your, your human will and your human mind and heart, it gets to be a part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you as he communicates with the Father. No spirit, though, there's no communication. Now, I know that's hard, but here we go. We're going to move forward. There's a lot right there about, the, about, about prayer, right? There's a lot there. And prayer is like an atom bomb, powerful to the soul. Like, like the atom bomb is like the bomb that, you know, it's like the bomb of all bombs, right? You see the picture of that or see a video of that thing going off in the mushroom cloud. It's like, whoa. If you're anywhere near that thing, you're done. You're destroyed. It's over. Prayer is like powerful like that. The whole thought of prayer is a humbling thought. Like, who are we? Who are you and me to go into the presence of God? Who are we? We are no one. We are nothing. We are made of the dirt of the ground. The only life we've got is that God breathed his life in us. Who are we that we should approach the throne of God, we are no one. Have you ever gra grabbed or touched a live wire, like, like a powerful one, and, and got shocked? I mean, that is, that's disturbing, it's scary, and it hurts like you know what, right? It hurts. You know, if you grab onto that wire without a protective coating, you, you could die. If, if it's a big enough cable, like if it's a power line running from pole to pole and a car hits the pole line and it falls over and it hits somebody or touches somebody and you get that jolt of electricity through your body, you could die. If lightning hits you, some people have lived through that, but most of the times you will die. Well, here's the truth. The Holy Spirit is our insulation. He is our covering, right? The Holy Spirit is our covering from being completely fried by the glory of God. You know, when God came into the presence of people in the Old Testament, lots of times they died. Did you know that when a person went into the king's presence, King Herod or a king, a Pharaoh or whatever, they, you just don't go into the king's presence, you have to be invited, you have to be welcomed, and if you're not, you could die. God was trying to tell us something in that. He was trying to tell us that we cannot just go into the Creator's presence. We have no business there, we have no authority there, we have not been invited there. We don't go there on our own. The only way we go into the presence of God is if the Holy Spirit is living in us and covering us. Now we can go into the presence of God. And what we have done is we've thought and we've been trained and we've been told that prayer, you just talk to God. Well, you know what? You don't come into the presence of God without the Holy Spirit. That's just it's plain and simple as it gets. You might be talking or babbling or chatting or reading off your list of wants and needs. But I got to tell you, if the Holy Spirit isn't a part of this process in your life, then there is nothing going on. There is nothing going on. 
And that, so that's a myth. That's a myth that just, you could just, anybody could just talk to God. It's a myth. Biblically, what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught, and what God is telling us in his word is that you must have the Holy Spirit in you to connect with the Father. Plain and simple. The bottom line is there's, if there's no relationship with Jesus, then there's no prayer. Bottom line is if there's no spirit living in you, then there is no connection to the Father. You're out there on your own. You're just a kid chatting on his play phone, talking to no one. So we come into this connection only through Jesus and only on Jesus's terms, only on his terms. That's why John said in his one of his letters, he said, whoever has the son has the life and whoever does not have the son of God, we're talking about Jesus, does not have the life. And the life is the life of God. That's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit living in you. If you have that, then you have the connection. If you have never invited Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, and, and you're living your life to honor God, then there's no life, therefore no connection. And I hope, I hope that's as plain as it can get. See, this whole thing of prayer is 100% dependent on Jesus alive and well in a person, in us. Prayer is a spirit connection. And we are blessed to have this gift of God in our life through our personal relationship with Jesus. Remember, remember this. Get this, and, and we know this, listen. It's Jesus who lived the perfect life, died on the cross, fulfilling his Father's will for all of mankind and to provide forgiveness of sin for all of mankind, purification of our sins. And so it's Jesus alone who has gained access into the presence of the Father. It's Jesus alone. And only if Jesus now is living in us through his Holy Spirit, do we have access, right? That's it. No Jesus, no access, no communication. And I know we've been told, most of us, all our lives, that if you just go to church and you act the right way and you be kind to people and you hold the door for old people, you try not to cuss too much, go to confession, do all these things, that, that everything's cool, you're good, you're, you're, you're in the presence of God somehow, or you can pray and God will hear your prayers. But I, I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. Not people, not a religion, not man. I, this is what the Bible teaches us. That the only relationship, the only prayer life that you can have with God, the creator, is only if Jesus is in you and alive and well. You've surrendered your life completely to Jesus. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of people out there that are simply just talking to themselves. They want God, they want God, they want God on speed dial when they get in trouble. 
God help me, right? God get me out of here. God, why that? They want to blame God. They want to get mad at God. They want to, you know, accuse God. But they just want him on speed dial, right? They're for them, right? They, they want to access the creator of the universe when it's convenient for them, right? They want God to be on call with his little beeper, but they are completely unwilling to honor God with their lives, worship God alone, serve him fully, right? They don't want to do that. They just want to access God when they need him, like he's a genie of some sort. We want the goods and the blessings of God without any commitment or cost to us. Because right? that's the American way. We want everything for nothing, including God to respond to my needs. Prayer is a direct line to God. Jesus alone is the power source. He's the mediator. He is the bridge. He's the go-between. He is the connection and the connectors. He is both of them. To the Father. Back to the Father. Prayer is a gift from God. It is a blessing from above. It is God's provisions for us, allowing us to communicate directly with Him. Sorry. And that's why the psalmist said, apologize for that. The psalmist said that the Lord is near. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and he saves them. Did you notice a few things in that as I read that? There is a condition on the relationship that we have with God. And that condition is pretty clear. He says, he says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. So that's a condition. You must call on him. But then he goes further. He says, to all who call on him in truth. That is in the truth of God, in the ways of God, on his terms. Truth, the truth of all that God is. We come to him on his terms, according to his will and according to his word. And then he fulfills the desires of all who fear him. Those are the conditions. Calling on God. Calling on God in his truth. And fearing God. Living your life in respect and honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's it. That's how you come into this relationship. And that's how we must be in our prayer life. Right? We call on him. And then he says, he also hears the cry, their cries, and saves them. In other words, those who are not in the line of God's will and way and truth and living and calling on God and fearing on God, they are not being heard. He does not save them. They will be lost and they will be lost forever. And that is the sad and hard truth. The condition of prayer is coming to God on his terms in a personal relationship with Jesus, his son, and his Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 12. We read it last week, so I'm just going to kind of refer back to it. If you got your Bibles, Acts 12. The story about Peter and the miraculous escape, the amazingness of that, the churches praying uh, for Peter in prison and all that that happened. What an amazing story. If, if, if you weren't here last week and you didn't hear that passage, go to Acts 12 and read those, 
first bunch of verses and get a, a feel for that story and what God did there. But I want to reflect on that kind of as we end this, this second part of this uh, prayer service. Luke writes about this event in, about Peter, right? And it's, an, it's a miraculous event. And it's uh, filled with like adventure. It's filled with danger. It's filled with death. It's filled with um, uh, angels and evil. It's a typical good versus evil kind of event in the life of the church. It's saturated in prayer and power. The church is together crying out. And, we, and what we see is the mighty hand of God at work. Through the church, because the church is praying. And I'm, I believe that it takes that group praying and God does what he does. Now we could say God was going to do what he was going to do without them over there praying. But somehow I believe that God is looking to his people to want God to do something miraculous. And when they want it, it simply confirms what he needs to do in some way. Don't know how that all works out. I just know that when we pray, God, God responds. He, he goes to act. He goes, he goes to work. And so notice a few things with me. First of all, we're going to notice this about Acts 12 and prayer. It's this. Number one, prayer is a team thing. What we see here is a team effort. Yeah, individually, we can pray to God if we are saved and the Holy Spirit is living in us and, and we can be refreshed and we can be enlightened by prayer and we can come into contact with God and we can worship God in prayer all by ourselves. But together, together as a team, it's powerful and it is effective. And so the church, what's happening in Acts, the church is being persecuted. Christians are dying for the cause of Jesus. They are giving up their lives because of their faith in Jesus. Do you, do you get that? Like, you know, when we read that last week, that is such a powerful thing. These people are dying for their faith in Christ. And when I think about the church today and I look around our churches and, you know, where I've been and my experience, there's a lot of people won't even get out of bed to go worship together with the body of Christ. There are people who don't have time to come on Wednesday night for Bible study or show up for prayer or go on a mission trip or go reach their community. They, they don't have time. That, that is a sad, that is a sad picture of the church today. We can't even get off our couches. And these people, they were laying down their lives in their commitment and devotion to Jesus. I, I hope that stirs you up. They're being put to death and, and Peter is thrown in prison for his faith. He's thrown in a dungeon, guarded by guards. He's not going anywhere. It's cold, it's, it's wet, it's damp, it's nasty. He's naked and in chains. He's chained up because of his faith in Jesus. Like it's about to cost Peter his life. What, what does your faith like cost you? What does it cost us? A little inconvenience maybe here or there. Verse five. 
Peter's in prison and the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. They're gathered together over in a house somewhere near the city and they are praying their hearts out earnestly for Peter. They came together in this great time of need. The church is being persecuted and it is, it, is being, it is under attack in this country right now. And it is going to get worse because if you stand for truth, you stand for a moral or standards or God in any way, you are about to be attacked like never before in this world, in the history of mankind, in this country anyway. It's coming. And if you're not holding on to Jesus with everything in you and, and you know who you believe in and who you trust, you are going to be swept away by the persecution and the attack that is headed our way. Danger is all around the church in the book of Acts, just like it is today. The church of truth is under attack. The hate for their leader, Jesus, has now been turned on the people who believe in Jesus. And the way to God is unwelcomed and being persecuted daily. And God's people did what God's people should do. They come together and they turn to God. That's what prayer is. They come together and they turn to God. You know that slogan, stronger together, you know, stronger together. It's not just a nice cliche. It is the truth. It is the truth and God's will for his people that we are stronger when we come together. And the devil the devil would like to segregate and separate us as much as he possibly can. And God is calling, once again, I believe, maybe for the last chance, God's men who God has put in the role of leadership, whether you like it or not, he has, from Adam and Eve. God has always looked to men to be the leaders of their home, to be the leaders of their marriage, to be the leaders of their community, and to be the leaders of their church. And God is looking to the men to step up one more time. I really believe he is. I know, I, I think he is in our church anyway. To step up and start taking on the responsibility that God has given to you as men and your role in this world in humanity and in the church. We're trying to do that at this church. We're trying to get our men to come together and pull together and all hands on deck and serve the Lord and his kingdom while we, while we continue to move through this trying time in this country. It's only going to get worse. Prayer is a team thing. Get involved. Get involved in your prayer team at your church through your small group, however you can. Get involved in the team and pray. That's my encouragement to you. That's the takeaway from what we're going to hear in this passage, what we heard in this passage. Get involved. Be together with those people praying for big things. Number two is this. Prayer is not a slot machine. It's not a, it's not a slot machine like we all want it to be, right? I put my prayer up. Why isn't God hearing me? Why isn't God answering me? Like, like you stick your quarter in and somehow you're supposed to get a piece of candy or something, right? Or a gumball. See, we want instant response, like our text messaging and our Wi-Fi connection. We want it our way, and we want it now, and we want it fast, and we want it to be there for us whenever we need it, right? That's where we, the, the world has just conditioned us into feeling that way and thinking that way, and this is our attitude. 
But prayer, I got to tell you, prayer is about God's timing. It's all about God's timing, and his timing is not your timing. It's not my timing. It's all about his timing. See, what we do is we keep on seeking him, and we keep on believing that he will move, and in due time, when the hour is correct, and when it's right, and when it has come, God will move. Maybe not exactly the way you thought he would or how you would want him to, but he will move in the way that is best for the team, for everyone, for all involved. He will work in that way. Notice Peter, Peter is in prison. The church is praying to God for Peter. Verse six, the night before Herod, verse six says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Note that right there. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial. I, I never really caught this before. The Passover's going on, Peter's thrown in prison. And then sometime later, the night before he was gonna bring him to trial, this day, Many days later, I never caught that. I, did, I never really saw that. See, Peter is in prison for apparently a number of days. Like, watch this. He's in prison for a number of days. There, there's this time gap between when he's thrown in prison and when he's brought to here, when he was going to be brought to here. And he never gets there because of the event, the miracle. The miracle. But there's some several days that go by. Herod was like waiting till after the Passover. And it, and it seems, here's the cool thing, it seems that the entire time the church was praying for Peter. They were gathered together in that house. They were praying for Peter. Like they were praying, Peter, maybe people are coming and going as they could, but there's this core group of people and they're praying for Peter and other people might come and join him for a little while or part of the day or part of the night and they're all there praying for Peter constantly. It says earnestly. The church is persistent and earnest in their prayers for Peter. This, this means this, long-suffering, like, like God's timing sometimes draws out and he pushes us a little bit. It means continually. It means wholeheartedly. It means day after day, week after week, however long it takes. They're praying earnestly for Peter with no regard to time. See, we, we want to be like that at this church. We have a prayer wall, and many of you are on this prayer wall. And, and, and when COVID hit in 2019, the end of COVID, uh, end of 2019, COVID hit, things started getting crazy. We, I, we initiated this prayer wall the next year in 2020, about in the fall. We started this prayer wall. You know what that is? Two, almost two years ago, 20. In 2020, we started this prayer wall, and we've been praying for a lot of people and a lot of things for two years. Every week, a handful of people come to our this church, I, we call it Meet Me at the Wall. They come to our building where this prayer wall is, and they spend time there once a week on Wednesday at noon, and they pray. They pray. They pray for you. They pray for their friends. They pray for their neighbors, people who are sick and ill and, and needing needing. God to move in their life. People who are outside of Christ who need Jesus in their life. Family, friends, everybody, grandkids. 
We're praying for you. We're praying for everyone. For two years, we've been praying. And on the left side are, are, are these prayers that God has answered. And, but most of this is, is prayers that we're still praying for God's people and for you and for me and for our friends and our neighbors. Two years on our knees, on our face, crying out to God, praying that God would move at this church, praying for a major breakthrough to happen, praying for hearts to be stirred to action, praying that God would move us out into the world, praying for our leaders to have vision and courage of heart and bravery to act for God's glory. We're praying. And you're invited to come and pray with us if you want. 12 o'clock every Wednesday, we don't talk to each other. We just talk to God and we listen to God. And you could stay for 30 minutes. You could stay for 60 minutes. You could stay all afternoon and just pray quietly and listen. Listen, mostly listen. When you go to pray, we go to pray for God's timing. You and I, we don't, we don't want our timing. It's not right, it's messed up. And we're gonna pray and we're gonna keep on praying and your breakthrough is coming. It will come. God will respond at some point, but according to his time, here's what will happen. Are you ready for it? God will either change hearts or he will change hearts. Did you catch that? When you start praying for something, God will either change hearts or he will change hearts. For Israel, God waited for the whole generation to die off so that he could work with a whole new generation. People more willing. Hearts that are more willing. And it should not have to take that. It shouldn't have to take God waiting 40 years for all the adults who are too lame to do anything, to die off for God to use a new generation of young people to get the job done. It shouldn't have to take that. But oftentimes in our world, in our day, in our country, this is exactly what it takes. Prayer is not a slot machine with instant movement. It's more like getting your college degree, right? It just takes years sometimes. And it takes hard work. And it takes like constant attention. And it takes time. And it takes stick to itness and dedication to the process. To God's process of crying out to God, spending time in his presence, appreciating God for all the blessings that you do have. And crying out to God for the things that you hope that he will do. And that his will would be done. And people, mostly that people would come to know Christ. And have hope and salvation and eternal life. And a prayer life. And heaven to look forward to in the future. Maybe God is wanting, maybe he lingers because he wants to see just how badly we want it. Maybe, maybe God is stretching us, right? He's stretching us, you know, because the time is not yet right. It's not best. Maybe he's stretching you to, 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 to rely on him deeper. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. Prayer is not a slot machine. 
Get that out of your head. Number three, prayer is miraculous. Prayer is miraculous. Last thing I want to say is this finally. The entire event, the entire event of Peter in prison and the church praying and the miraculous escape is mind-blowing. Angels of the Lord appear in light, the prison uh, in a prison cell. The angel comes to the prison cell where Peter is. That's huge. Chains come loose, prison doors swing open. Peter just walks out. The guards are sleeping, and he's escorted by God's angel. This is incredible. This is supernatural. This is another mighty move of God on the behalf of his people. When everything, here's the thing, when everything seems completely impossible and the walls around you seem to be squeezing you in, there is nothing impossible for God. There is nothing impossible for God. He can pull it off. And when he does, you will be left speechless. Check this out. Verse 9. Peter follows the angel out, but he had no idea that this was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He, he can't believe this is going on. It's an out-of-body experience for Peter. Look at verse 11. Then Peter came to himself. Like he, he had to shake his face and go, whoa, did that just happen? Like I can't imagine. This is the hand of God. This is the Lord showing up to rescue his people. God responding to the prayers of his church. It's an, it's an out-of-body experience for Peter. It's unbelievable. It's far beyond any human ability to pull off. They didn't march in there and fight the guards and get Peter out. God just sent one angel. He goes in there. Everything else happens because God makes it happen. It's a miraculous. And to Peter, it's a blur. So unbelievable, so unbelievable that even those who are gathered at the church praying for Peter's release... They can't believe it either because this happened in such an unimaginable way. Check it out. When this had dawned on him, Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying together for Peter. This is the middle of the night. Peter knocks on the door at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda and came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back in without opening it. And she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept on insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. That's odd. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were, they were astonished. They didn't even believe that God did what he did. Peter didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. This is supernatural, miraculous power. It's the power that God uses, that God displays through his people, through his church. It's the miracle power of God. And it always, it always, God's power will always trump evil. It will always trump evil. Always does, always will. See, the king, King Herod, they, they had big plans for Peter. King Herod had big plans for Peter. He intended to persecute the church. They saw that persecuting the church pleased the Jews. 
And so they arrested Peter and they throw him in prison and they're intended to bring him to public trial after the feast. James was already put to death by a sword. And remember, not long ago, Jesus's trial, his public trial, ended in a crucifixion. And so we know, we know where this is going for Peter. At the evil hands of a ruler, Herod, and the whiny crying people who don't want to accept the truth. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? If you think that that's not where it's headed for Peter, just look what happens to the guards. Look what happens, look how Herod treats the guards. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. He's gone and they wake up and he's, he's not there. After Herod had a thorough search made for him, he did not find him. He cross-examined the guards and he ordered that they all be executed. If this is how he treated the guards, his own guards, we can only imagine what he had in store for Peter. See, when God moves, when God moves, nothing will stand in his way. Not a king, not an army, not Roman soldiers, not nobody. Pray, 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 and keep on praying. Look, pray alone. Spend time alone on your knees, on your face. Cry out to God. Do this for yourself. Do this for your lost friends. Do this for your children. You, listen, you guys who have small children, you better start praying now. And you better pray every day. Like, I mean intense and serious and focused prayer for your kids if you want them to have any chance in this world when they leave home. You better now. Build those coals underneath their life. That will, that will be the flame for them later on. If you don't, if you get so busy doing your own thing, you barely even have time for your kids. And you think they're gonna make it in the world without you praying for them now? It's gonna be a struggle. It's already gonna be a struggle. But without prayer, there is no hope. You have a huge, those of you with kids, you have a huge responsibility. Having babies was not going to be easy. I know you didn't think about what it's going to take to raise them. Not money. It's going to cost a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. It's going to cost a lot of heartache and you're going to pull your hair out and you're going to get gray hair. But if you don't undergird their life in prayer, you're asking for trouble. You're going to invite trouble. And even then, there's no guarantees. The only hope you have is crying out to God for your kids. Pray alone and then pray together with the church. There is great power in the body of Christ for your life, for your family, for your community, for the kingdom. Prayer, it's a team thing. Prayer, it's not a slot machine. And prayer, it's the miracle power of God. I love my church. I love my church because my church is God's church. Where he reigns and where he rules, where all authority is his, all belonging is his doing, and all construction is the work of his hands. 
his hands. I get to join him in it as much as I possibly can with every ounce of energy I've got. I'm going to join God because his work is the only work that is going to stand in the end. That's it. Nothing else will stand. Nothing. There really is no better place to be than talking to Jesus and seeing Jesus do great things in and around his church. And I hope to God that you love your church. And I hope that your prayer connection, first of all, is powered by the Holy Spirit in your life. Because without him, there's no prayer. But then I hope that you are engaged with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you as he communicates with the Father. Pray. Pray. Pray God's way. Pray with all your heart. Cry out to God for everything, for all things, but mostly for eternal things. All right, for eternal things. Guys, you have a great week. I love my church. I hope you love yours, the body that you're connected to, because God wants us to be. And I hope you're actively serving together and praying together with them. If you're not, go and get connected. Go and get involved. God bless you guys. Have, amazing, have an amazing week. We'll see you.